Welcome to Honey, I'm Homeschooling the Kids, a podcast that steps into alternative education, parenting, and living a funner, fuller family life. I'm Robin, home educator, unschooling mom to two funny, eclectic kids, and we're here to create a space for families to listen, connect, learn from others, and be inspired. Join us every two weeks to hear interviews and tips from experts in learning, education, and parenting, and stories from families that are playing full out in the arena of life and education. World schooling, unschooling, alternative schooling, homeschooling, or just creating a whole new style of learning. Welcome to Honey, I'm Homeschooling the Kids. I'm excited about this episode because really it falls in line with the purpose of this podcast, which is to provide information, support, and answer those questions that we all have in this learning journey with our kids and our family. So I invited two great friends of mine, Kelly Edwards and Liana Francisco, one because they have such wonderful knowledge and wisdom and experience, also because they're amazing people, they're great friends, but they also provide some fantastic perspective on these questions that we're answering. Whether we're looking at growing up unschooled, like Liana Francisco, supporting more than one child, all different ages from young, four years old, all the way to teenagers, plus supporting our kids with neurodiversity. I think it's important to have various perspectives and ideas. You also find listening to this that we really do tend to overlap in many things that we share as well. And after you listen to this episode and you're like, you know what, I want more support, continuous support, I recommend my Patreon community where every month you have access to me, direct access to me. I offer a live Q&A via Zoom for my patrons each month. Plus, it's, an, it's a great direct line to me to share ideas and ask questions and know what's going on as well that I don't always share publicly. So go to patreon.com slash honey, I'm homeschooling the kids or go to the link in the bio or sign up for my newsletter. You can just go to my website and do that. I'm not going to waste any more time. Let's get to the episode and the questions. We didn't get to all of them, but here are a few that we answered. Getting our kids engaged in reading. The question was, my kids don't engage in reading. How can I support them in feeling confident to start? Or my son learns skills, for example, reading when it becomes useful to him. But I worry that he may may not find a need to write because everything is typed these days. Should I worry? Or another wonderful question about starting with structure and then falling into unschooling, but not having the confidence and going back between structured homeschooling, specifically Charlotte Mason, or unschooling and finding, you know, how do we do it? What tips do we have on staying confident? As always, we'd love to hear your feedback or send in additional questions. Enjoy this episode. So welcome to Honey, I'm Homeschooling the Kids podcast. Right now on the video, I'm smiling away because my two friends, wonderful ladies who I am just so grateful that I have had a chance to connect with and become friends with and know because honestly, they teach me a ton every time we chat and talk or text. And I'm really grateful for you both. So I've actually asked them both to come on this episode because this is a Q&A episode. 
I wanted to go through questions that I've received, and I have a list of questions from parents ranging from those who are just starting homeschooling to those who are in the trenches right now and just need a bit of support. And I thought, instead of me just answering them, why don't I get friends who I know have been in the trenches, that are in the trenches, that have great background with all with parenting, really, and living life and being mothers and having children. And not only that, coming at a perspective where, you know, for me, I have teenagers now in this journey, uh, where we, we talk about it from all ages, from young children to teens, to growing up being an adult, grown and schooler, to just the experience of how we've been affected and lived life. And I think it would give a, a good diversity of perspective in these answers as well. So I have invited Kelly Edwards and Liana Francisco to the podcast, and I'm going to hand it over to you both. Uh, Kelly, you look ready. I'll let you introduce yourselves, <laughs> and then we'll get started. <laughs> I was born ready, Robin. Hi, everyone. My name is Kelly Edwards, and I am the creator of the 90-Minute School Day which is a method of de-schooling to walk parents away from traditional methods of education into natural learning. And it's a process, especially for the parents. So the 90-minute school day helps parents structure their day in 90 minutes or less because children learn all day long. I have been homeschooling for, I'm entering my ninth year of homeschooling. I have three children. Their ages are 15, 9, and 5. They're all foster adopted, and I live in the Shenandoah Valley of West Virginia with my husband, a dog, and a cat. And I've just launched the 90-Minute School Day podcast, and I'm just so thrilled to be here with both of you, my dear friends. Liana? Well, hello. I'm glad to be here today. I'm not sure we've done a podcast with all three of us yet. We've no, just we, done our clubhouse we. rooms, right? So yeah. that feels really fun. So my name is Liana Francisco. I'm a grown unschooler. So I'm 40 years old. I was unschooled from birth until I was 16 years old when I started at a community college. I live in Washington State. Uh, so we had a beautiful running start program here where I could go to college for free as a high school aged student. So I did that transition to adulthood that way. Went on to do quite a bit of education. I know people are always scared that unschooling can prevent your kids from going to college, but that was not the case for me. Even 20 years ago, I was able to access an associate's degree, a bachelor's degree, and a master's degree. Um, I've done a lot of different career things in my life, and I'm now um, consulting, and I am a homeschool parent, an unschooling parent to my six-year-old little boy. And I'm also a foster parent. We currently have one little baby living with us. We've had, I think, seven different kids in the last year and a half. <laughs> um, so that is mostly what my life is now is being a home mom, figuring out how to uh, work at the same time, do things that are fulfilling for me, figure out that work-life balance, and really that what is the the big question I'm asking myself right now is, is how do you as a parent unschool the way you want to be in relationship with your kids the way you want to, but also do the things you want to do for yourself in your own life, not put it all in the back burner until your kids are big. And I'm really trying to, I'm, I'm in that right now and talking to other parents about that and um, learning about that and building that model for myself. Um, I've been sharing quite a bit on Instagram. You all can follow me there. It's Liana underscore Francisco. And I also have a YouTube channel as well, where I try to share some of this unschool mom life. 
Fantastic. Okay. Now everyone listening has the goods on who we are and uh, yeah, what will we be, we will be bringing to this episode. So I'm going to get started with the questions here. I did write them down and I have the list. So the first question, my kids don't engage in reading. How could I support him in feeling confident to start? And I thought we could approach this from different ages. Maybe we can start from very young and then getting older. I don't know, and I didn't get in touch with this person to find out exactly how old their child is um, or this particular child is, but um, I think it would be useful for the audience to hear perspectives from different ages. I'll go first, Robin. Um, Whenever I hear this question about like, my kid doesn't like to read, how do I get my child interested in reading? I always suggest that the parent read aloud. So the first question is, well, do you read to them? And it doesn't matter the age. So if you have like little children, I think every parent understands that reading aloud to children who are non-literate is important to get to that literacy phase where they can read for themselves. But it's not necessarily so apparent in our society that we should continue to read aloud to our children who are independent readers. So whether this child can read independently or not, reading aloud allows that child to access reading material that goes along with their thought processes. Because if they're a struggling reader or an emerging reader, they're not able to access in their own independent reading lives the amount of dense and rich material that they can um, when you're reading aloud to them because you're a more experienced reader. So just reading aloud, that gets that relationship. So I would just suggest that they start reading aloud to their child if they haven't. And then like take the heat off yourself. Like you don't need to be reading some classic, like really dense book. You can go to the library. You just feel like, so what should you read? Like, yeah, like anything, anything. And it should be the child's choice. So I think going to the library because it's free and allowing the child to choose books and then you honor whatever they pick. So if they're picking a bunch of graphic novels or comic books or picture books, like read those. And then you get to pick some too. I think we were kind of like chatting about that is like, it's so important to include ourselves in our homeschools. So you find something that's interesting to you, whether it's a picture book or a chapter book, something from your own childhood that you enjoyed. And you you check that out and allow the child to choose, or if that's too much, then you can give the child options. And then just let them read and let them wiggle and wander and play. And you just keep reading and develop this habit and just start small, five or 15 minutes and just keep it consistent. Liana, would you like to add? Yeah, I I love that, Kelly. You know, I think one of the biggest things that I would say is to not freak out too much. (laughs) That's such a funny thing to say, but that that's one of the big fears for homeschoolers and unschoolers is, you know, if if I take the pressure off, then it might not happen. Right. right? And to begin to trust that it will happen in its own time, in your kid's own time, maybe not even when they're a young child, maybe when they're older. You know, I certainly know people that only engaged in as much reading as was required in their schooling when they were little. And then as adults had reason to learn to read for themselves and for joy. You know, they might have known the technical abilities to read, but it wasn't a part of their lives until they were older for some reason. And so that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Right. And we all, have different abilities. So one of the first things, which I'll probably say a lot in this um, podcast episode is, you know, why is it concerning you? That's one of the first things for you to think about for yourself. Like, why is this triggering? Why am I worried? Um, And just know that for yourself. You don't have to take any action on it, but just starting to become aware of 
what your concern is. Are you worried they're going to be illiterate and not be able to, you know, get a job or navigate social systems? Are you worried they're um, not going to be able to learn things that they really want to learn? Are you worried that people might not think that they're smart enough? Are you worried you're going to be judged as a parent if your kid isn't reading the way you think they should read or you think other people think they should read? So those are the things to start uncovering to be able to relax a little bit into it. And then the next thing would be that reading is about, um, it's, it's a long-term literacy development. And so just keep reading to your kid, like Kelly was saying, and read yourself. I think that's the only other thing I would add to what Kelly said is, you know, sit, sit down as much as you can, if your kid allows you to, (laughs) if your life allows you to, and open a book and just model that, even if they're doing something else and you can read for yourself. Sometimes my son will ask me, what are you reading? And I'll say, oh, I can read it aloud if you'd like. And it might be like, like right now I'm reading a biography about Sandra Day O'Connor. Like, could he care less? He doesn't care, right? But I start reading and I'm and I'm saying all these all these big words, and he asks me questions about it, or he's just like, okay, stop. Like, I know what you're doing now. Okay, stop. But the more that there's just reading in their life, the more they're going to be comfortable with it. It's going to be a familiar thing. And if they ever need to access reading, if they desire to access reading, they will. Like they'll be able to get there. It won't be such a big stretch to think, oh, reading is like a hard thing that we do. It's just part of life. It's just part of life. So, you know, I think a lot of it is as well. Yeah. Environment, how we present it. I agree. I think probably a lot of times our biggest thing is, is like, well, if they're not reading at a certain expectation, and that's always my question is, what is your reading expectation? Like, are they six and you think they should be reading novels and you feel like a failure if they're not? Are they 10 and you feel like they should be at this certain level. Uh, you know, everyone has these ideas of my child is reading. But when you ask them exactly what does that mean when your child is reading, I find often it parents have a hard time articulating that back to me. Or when they actually think about it, their expectation, they surprise themselves with the expectation of what they feel reading is. And sometimes it is like, well, they're 10 and I hope they're reading Shakespeare by this time. You know, when they really break it down, like, okay, then maybe that is unrealistic because I was 17 and struggling with Shakespeare, you know, or I'm 42 and I still need cliff notes if I'm reading Shakespeare, Uh, you know, or, you know, maybe it is they, it's sounding out words or they are 10 and they don't you know, they're just getting phonetic awareness. I don't know, but I think it's a good a good time to reflect and ask, like you're saying, reflect on your own expectations and your own fears. Because so often it's like, I'm failing at this homeschool thing because my child isn't reading to the exact expectation that I have in my own head that might actually not even be realistic with their actual development and age. And it the might- only time, oh, sorry. No, continue, continue. I was, I was just, just going to say- Depending on what we think the other kids are doing as well. Yeah, the only time that I'm ever concerned that a kid isn't reading at um, like a social standard of where other kids are reading within their community is if it's starting to make them feel uncomfortable. Mm. If they are uncomfortable. And I definitely know some little boys that are approaching like that 9, 10 age and they're not reading the way that peers are and they're starting to feel like it's a problem for them. Well, that's great. That's then then you have a conversation with your kid and say, all right, this is the skill we're going to learn then. If it's important to you, let's do it. You know, that's that's the big piece there that and I think that parents are um 
don't oftentimes just take the cue from their kid. If it's if it's a problem for your kid, then start learning together. If it's not, then then they're fine still. I was just talking to um, a mother the other day who raised three unschooled boys. They're in their um, mid-30s now. And she had one little guy that did not read, like really did not read independently until he was like 13. And then by 16, he took the tests to go into the community college and he was like at full-on like college reading level. Like it was not a problem. So, so much at the time, and he wasn't concerned by it until he had a reason to learn to read. And then he did. So I feel like that's the, that's the crux of it for so many families is, is it working for your kid or is it not working for them anymore? And how can you just sort of get out of the way of your expectations? Yeah, I think that's so huge, Liana. What you just said there is like, how does your kid feel about it? Because if it's more of a if it's more of a me thing as the parent, then that's work I have to do. But if it's my kid, then it's how can I support my kid? And I work a lot with parents who are either neurodivergent themselves or they have neurodivergent kids, or it's genetic. So a lot of times it's both. And so there's there's a lot of school trauma that the parent has from their own struggles in schools and labels. And so they're a little bit more hyper aware. Um about any kind of like perceived delay that could just be their own concept or perhaps they've pulled their child out of school for some reason. But then the other part of it is like, let's let's pause for a second and remind ourselves and remind everyone who's listening what reading really is. All reading is, is a way to consume information or a story. It's consuming information from someone that you're not physically present with. So it can span, you know, we can read Shakespeare. He is currently not in existence anymore, but we can still read him. You know, we can find out from the past. We can find out about what people project is going to happen in the future. We can find out so much through reading and it doesn't have to be in books. It can be through blogs. It can be through um, periodicals. Or it can also be the consumption of information from screens. So when we think about YouTube, when we I learned so much on YouTube, when we this is a, just a different media to transform that information. And we're kind of in our own like Gutenberg press moment where everybody could start to have like a book and they weren't handwritten anymore. So we could mass produce them. We have information on the internet. And one of the other things is if you have a child who with a reading delay like dyslexia, you can still give them the power of reading through reading aloud, like we mentioned, but then also introduce this child to podcasts, introduce this child to audible books and listen to them with them or just give them, you know, um, whether they can tap through it on some sort of device or just an old fashioned CD. Um, there are so many books on an audible format and it's so rich. So I've got my nine-year-old. That's one of her main ways that she reads because she has ADHD. So she's a very proficient reader, but often she wants to be doing about 6,000 things while she reads. <laughs> so she actually gets more retention off of audiobooks and children with dyslexia and adults with dyslexia are really good at speaking. And so this makes sense because their audible sense is more perceptive. And so, of course, then their speech is. So I just kind of wanted to bring that into this conversation about reading and what it really is. And are we actually getting concerned with reading level and reading some kind of comparison game? Or is our child actually accessing information and thinking big thoughts? Absolutely. Yes. Accessing information and thinking big thoughts. It's part of the communication process and it's a way of communicating, thinking, Decoding, you know, comprehending, responding and reflecting and sharing if it needs to be shared externally, maybe it's internally. And I, I, you know, I have a child as well that's, you know, along the same lines as well, where, you know, he uh, audible and 
hearing, like trying to think, listening to stories. Yes, he loves reading stories, but especially lately, I find that it's been um, more so than my other child. It's he's definitely more auditory for sure. And he is some of the same. He will be doing a million things at the same time. And you think, how can you even like, do you know what's happening in this story? And it's like, oh, yeah. You know, when you ask, then he can tell you the details. And the other thing as well is, um, the other thing I found is repetition of stories. So for him as well, if there is a story that he loves, uh, he will listen to it even when he was younger and now still many, many times over. And our tendency is like, move on. You've already read it. You've already listened to it. Why do you need to listen to it again? Um, but that's not the case for him. And I find that he gets you know, more out of it each time as well. Um, but that could be like six times. I think there's, you know, a few stories where he's read many, 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 or listened to, or both read and listened to it many, many times over. So, yeah. Okay. Have we shared enough information on this? I know we could probably talk about this the whole time, but we'll continue. And there's other questions kind of that tie in with it as well too. So, okay. So next question, my son learned skills, for example, reading, when it becomes useful to him. I worry that he may not find the need to write because everything is typed these days. Should I worry? Should so they're actually talking about like penmanship then rather than spelling and typing because they're not worried about typing. They're saying there's a keyboard, access to keyboard. Right. So that's, actually that's the, physics, the mechanics, yeah, handwriting. Yeah. Hmm. Again, man, why are you worried? Like what's the fear? You're going to have a kid that has like super sloppy handwriting because I feel like when people get into the world, there's going to be a point at which he will realize like, oh, there's a form to fill out. And like, I have a really terrible handwriting <laughs> and he's probably going to want to fix that. Like, right. I mean, that's just the reality of the situation. But does he need to do it at eight, nine, 10, 11? How many forms does he have to fill out yet? You know, I mean, what are, what's the actual reason for writing when you're really little from a practical standpoint. I know that there's some cool brain development stuff that you that can happen when you're writing with a pen and paper or pencil and paper. And so there there are some reasons to develop that for sure. Um, but it's the stress and the worry on it that's the big thing that I am always concerned with with families. There's other ways to build those motor skills and to have that practice with drawing, with tracing, with all sorts of like crafts that you can do. Um, but one, there, there is, there is utility. Like you do need to write in our culture and they will, they will reach a point where they will discover that. <laughs> and the thing is, that's when you just swoop in and support them without judgment. See, if you had done this earlier, you would know how to do that. Like none of that, none of that. Just you're ready now. Let's sit down and learn this together. I can support you in this. Here's some resources. How would you like me to help you? Those are the things. And that can happen when the kid's 15 and realizes that they can't write well. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Unless, unless you put shame on that, they're not going to care more likely than not. What's your thoughts, Kelly? Yeah. I just loved everything that you said. Everything. It was so good, Liana. Um, and I'll just kind of like pull a few threads that you talked about. So a hundred percent, this is always a, more about, it has to be centered in relationship. And so if, if writing and your expectation of your child's writing is causing friction for you towards your child, your child's going to pick up on that, whether or not you verbalize it, they can just feel it. 
coming out of your body. And so we got to work through that first as the parent. So that's something that should give everybody a release because that's something as the parent they can work on. And then yes, writing is important, but like you just said, it can happen when they're 15 and just like reading. So like the range that kids learn to read is somewhere between four and 12 that like, that's the range. And so writing is similar. So some children are going to be fantastic with a pencil at three or four. They have like amazing ninja fine motor skills. I've got one of those. And then I have a child who still currently is struggling with her fine motor skills. She can do so much, but writing is something that she's just not able to access that well yet. I don't, I don't bring it up, but we have, because she is older, we have sought um, some more professional support. So she's um, in, 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 in the intake process for occupational therapy. And that's one thing that we just need to call attention to. Like if you're concerned because let's just use an example, the child is 10 and they're still really struggling to like write their name or their hand wears out after um, a sentence and they really want to write. Then we need to look at like, how are they holding the pencil? And are they putting a lot of pressure on it? These are just signs that their fine motor skills are underdeveloped. And that's not a judgment on them. And that's not a judgment on the parent. It's just that they developmentally, that is just a place that they haven't accessed yet. And the hand continually grows until your thirties. And so these musicians really come into their own. If you're a pianist and Leanna, you can talk about this because you're the musician. I'm not, I'm just raising musicians, but they really come into their own in like their late twenties and thirties when their fine motor skills have fully like peaked. So this is more about having a positive relationship with writing. So you write for your child. If your child is struggling, you write. And it kind of goes back to the last question where we were talking about if you want your child to read, they need to see you read and you need to read to them. So like when you're making a list, like we have the fancy pants Alexa thing where I'm just like, Alexa, add apples to the grocery list. And then I can pull it up on my phone. It's fabulous. But yeah, you know, maybe I'll just like jot down a list just so my child can see the purpose and the utility of handwriting. Uh, And then there is that the last thing I want to talk about is like, and then you think about like birthday lists, Christmas lists, all of a sudden kids get really good at somehow like, I think things drawing pictures, doing something. Um, And then the other thing I was going to say is there is that pathway from your hand to your brain that gets activated when you're handwriting. So we want to look for other things to do besides what's frustrating the child. We want to look like you said, coloring, um, any kind of like lacing work, beadwork crafts, handicrafts. That's why handicrafts are so great for learning because it's almost like we all are understanding more and more the last couple of decades, how important crawling is for development. Like if you have the child that was sitting up and then just went to pulling up to a stand and walking, they have some like occupational work that they need to do later on because they missed that crucial step of crawling. Well, handwriting is kind of that process also, not to freak anyone out, but just as like, hey, we do want to support those fine motor skills and the ability to communicate. If it's not in written letter form, can they just draw it? Yeah. And can I add, you know, if you have a child who maybe is not into handicrafts, or things like that, even things like going outside and playing in the sandbox and having to and digging and scooping, holding, um, being outside. Yeah. You know, exactly. You know, um, you know, we lived in Korea when my kids are little and, you know, the, the utensils are chopsticks, the main utensils. And if anyone knows Korea, they have a very specific type of chopsticks that are used there. They're very thin and narrow and long. So even as an adult, it takes a lot of fine motor skills to get used to them. So there, and we had bought this for, and you see this all over, are chopsticks that are for kids with little hole, you know, they can put their fingers through and they're bigger and they're fun, you know, things like that where, 
you know, you're even just playing with your food with that um, and using different things that might be different. Maybe you would never use chopsticks, but hey, we can introduce it and, and we're all using chopsticks at the table kind of thing and, and easy to use ones where, you know, there's a place for each of your fingers to go in and it holds them or being outside and collecting sticks, picking flowers, um, pick, you know, taking the petals off of the, you know, little things, being in the garden. Um, you know, there's so many things that are everyday life throwing rocks skipping rocks in the river or in a pond, things that we think, oh, it's just a childhood thing that we did that actually are very key in our development and our motor development as well, that are steps to um, building that for, for them physically, mentally. And then again, the relationship, which is, I think, the foundation is like you feeling safe and supported um, emotionally. Yeah. And Lego. Oh, yeah. jumping in there with Lego. Like if you do nothing else but read and let your kids play Lego, like you're good to go. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, that's what we did for a very long time. <laughs> read a yeah, lot. Yeah, it was just, <laughs> just to add one more thing, my son in particular, he he does not like to use a pencil or a pen. Really, he doesn't want to draw. He doesn't want to practice letters. None of that is interesting to him at all. But he uses a hot glue gun with extreme precision for art. He hot glues onto tiny beads and puts them on things, you know, without burning himself. He does Lego. He does a ton of digging. He um, does a lot of hammering with nails and other hardware. So he's holding a tiny nail. He's hammering the tiny nail. Like there's a lot of different. Oh, and he cooks every day, chops vegetables probably every day. So that's a lot of different like things that he's doing in that vein. And I definitely have had moments, even as an unschooled person i've had moments where like he's like won't write he won't draw he won't color like these are all things he should be doing he's six years old he's got to learn this stuff and then i see all the other ways that he does it and all it takes is watching him do these tiny little legos on stuff with precision and accuracy and creating it just how he wants that i realize okay this is fine he will do those things and in fact recently there's been several times where he has seen me writing picks up a pen and is able to make letters clearly. And I'm like, whoa, you haven't even practiced that. Like, how have you done that? And it's because he does have the motor skills for it. He's just so when he's ready, I know he'll be able to learn it. Absolutely. And I do want just a quick side note as I'm married to, uh, well, he's a retired writer now, but someone who was a writer, we've done that for a profession. So you would think it'd be all about or he'd be all about writing with our kids totally the opposite, (laughs) which people are surprised about, right? And my kids actually don't see him writing that often with a pen and paper because he does so many things on the keyboard. So, you know, and he was very much about, you know, having our kids do write emails instead of practicing handwriting or anything like that. Um, And when they see him writing, it is like on the phone or on the keyboard and different things like he's great, like, spreadsheets and things like that, all digital. Um, And so it's just interesting when I think about, they see me probably writing more grocery lists and I'd be keeping a notebook on our countertop that's our grocery list notebook. So somebody needs something, they can just add it to the list. And then when we go, we just take that book with us. Or maybe I'm writing my you know, my list for the day and what I need to do. And I just need to have so I can cross it off. Because for me to cross off things on my list manually and physically helps me to know that task is done. I'm ready to move on. Little things like that. But otherwise, I will write in my journal as well. But, you know, 
that whole utility, which I think this parent also brought up, the utility of writing when we have voice to text now, voice to video um, on our phone, it's getting to be less and less and less for sure. And I think even within my school division job as a trustee, all of those forms, Leanna, you're talking about filling out forms. Those forms I'm filling out are on the computer. You know, I'm I was just going to say that. Computer. It's There's hardly any time. And now it's like, I'm trying to think of the last time I filled out a form with a pen or pencil on paper. Just at doctor's offices. That's the only place it is around here now. It's still, it's just at the doctor's office. The only place. In fact, <laughs> I was um, at a therapist's office for some of my foster kids recently. And she wanted me to like, write all this. She was handing me a legal pad to like, oh, here, can you write this up? So I'm going to need some stuff for my report. Can you just like tell me some of your thoughts on something? I'm like, no, I'm going to send you an email tonight. Like I'm not going to sit here with a pen and paper and write it out for you on a legal pad. Like it was just so like interesting to me to like, I don't think anyone had asked me to write something in long form on a piece of paper in years. So, you know, if I really had to, um, if I had to choose for my son, if he had competency in handwriting or true competency, like really good skills with writing on a keyboard and understanding word processing programs and all of that, all of the literacy around that, I would wait, I would choose that hands down. In a second, I would choose that over him having nice handwriting. If if you were to choose, obviously we don't have to choose. Our kids can develop both skills, but that to me is infinitely more important if a young person knows how to do that. Yeah, that's our times now, really. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Okay, should we move on to the next question? Kelly, did you have something else? You, I thought you for a second you were going to add something. No, else. I'm I'm just smiling and nodding. I'm like, yeah, let's do the next question. We're doing <laughs> such a great job here. We may never get through all the questions. We, we won't get through all the questions. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. Not our style. Yeah. Exactly. That's okay. <laughs> okay. So this one's a bit of a longer question. I need to make sure I don't miss it. Um, okay. Um, how, sorry, this might even be a two-part, but how do I handle doubting? How do you handle doubting yourself? I started out Charlotte Mason Purist a few years ago and found your podcast and unschooling two years ago have been loving it and seeing so much growth and curiosity, but I find myself wondering if I'm doing enough and fall back into doing structured Charlotte Mason when I feel in doubt. Any tips on staying confident in unschooling? Mm. Oh, this, this is, is your great. question, Kelly. Yeah. This is this for is you as far as I'm concerned. This is like, this is Charlotte totally Mason. you. Yeah. Yes, this is, uh, I, I resonate a lot with this, Mama. So just, I, I didn't include this in my introduction. So anyone who's um, unfamiliar with my story, when we started homeschooling, uh, I brought, we brought our daughter home at the beginning of second grade. And I like was traditional, I was traditionally home educated. And so I bought the box curriculum. I got into all of the different methods and the thing to answer this question, and then I'll let you guys uh, weigh in, especially on the unschooling is, Charlotte Mason was an unschooler. Like, I'm just going to start with that. She was an unschooler for her time. She was totally against, um, I shouldn't say against, I should put words in her mouth, but she was totally advocating for home learning. And so um, 
I feel like when we get really focused on the framework or the methodology of any thinker, so we can think about home education. I think about Charlotte Mason and Maria Montessori. Both of those ladies' legacies can get misconstrued because you get focused on the materials, right? Or you get focused on the method. And neither one of those ladies, they're both deceased, but if they were here today, they'd be like, stop. (laughs) These are tools to help you. But at the center of all of this, is the relationship and honoring the individual. And so let's talk about how Charlotte Mason is actually an unschooler. So she, first of all, um, she believed that we are all born, born persons. So each person is like an individual that we need to honor and respect. And then she was very big on learning from practical life. In fact, she's famous for saying that education is an atmosphere, a discipline, and, um, what is it, an atmosphere, a discipline, and a life. And those things are simply like environment. And then we need to habits, we need good habits. And then we need to have living ideas. So she was very big on the natural world, spending like six hours outside. So talk about like, that's a lot of unschooling right there. And building on the child's curiosity, because when we build on the child's curiosity, they develop the skills, which we've already kind of talked about when it's meaningful to the learner, then they want to learn. That's very John Holt. And he's the father of unschooling. And so she was big on our job is to support the learner and lay the feast. So we want to introduce them to different ideas that maybe they've never encountered. So in the original example, we took the child to the library and asked them to find books. So they're going to find things that they've never known before. And that's laying the feast, right? And um, so that's how I would take Charlotte Mason. So if you're getting kind of like with a purist, like as soon as you said that word, Robin, like the purist, Charlotte Masoners, you got to be careful. Like if you're ever dealing with a purist, they may have missed the whole message. It's almost like there are religious people in the world and then there are people of faith. And it's right. kind of the same thing. Right. That's a great way to put it. Okay. Okay. So then talking about Charlotte Mason as an unschooler, and living that living education, living life of learning. And this parent who was a Charlotte Mason purist at one time, but has found unschooling. But when you're feeling unsure and you're lacking confidence, I guess the idea of being a Charlotte Mason purist, what I think is that there's some guidelines or maybe even rules or structures that make you feel safe. So falling back on that helps to give that you know, framework of safety, like, okay, I can just go back and follow this and do my checks. And did I do this? Yes, I did. Okay. I feel better now. Next is this part. Okay. Then I can get ready to do this and prepare and be ready for this. So then everyone knows this is what we're doing next. And it doesn't feel so open, I guess. Mm -hmm. Unschooling, um, you know, and I think maybe we can talk about what unschooling is as well, because I think sometimes that gets missed And if we go back to the idea of relationship, I would like to say, and Liana, correct me if you like, let me know if you disagree, but I think relationship is priority over any definition or labeling of anything. And with unschooling, if unschooling is working, the relationship is what is the priority, not how we are or not how we're doing something or not doing something or how we're structured or not structured. It really is about focusing on building that relationship with our kids. And then also that going back to that whole relationship with ourselves too, because if we're struggling internally, um, it might be a bit of a struggle with our relationships, external relationships as well. But what do you think, Liana? Sorry, I hear my phone. 
You know, um, I think that's exactly true. I think that the relationship is, is critical. And that's why, you know, I oftentimes people, you know, hear me advocating and being this, um, this voice for unschooling and homeschooling, but it's not for everybody. <laughs> like we need strong public schools because homeschooling and unschooling is not for everybody. And um, so, it, and it comes back to how are you choosing to be in relationship with your kids and with other people in your family? And are you willing to make that more important than the handwriting? Are you willing to make that more important than them getting to watch maybe another YouTube video or, you know, because a lot of it has to do with, with children having a sense of ownership over their lives and a feeling of autonomy, um, a feeling that they get to have choices and that what they want matters too, and that you will hear what they want and that you will support them in creating the life that they want to experience. And I know that sounds like very heady for a little kid that's just like screaming about like what book they want to read instead, or no, they want to watch PJ masks and not read your whatever, you know? Um, but it is, but what, whatever you can do to bring, um, bring peace to your relationship with your kiddo, that is the most important factor, I think. And then from there, everything else grows, right? If you can observe your kids, see who they are right now, not who they could become, not who you want them to be, but observe them fully and then bring, like Kelly was saying, the feast of learning to them, right? You get to bring all these cool ideas to them. And, and, you know, like you were saying, some people misunderstand unschooling and think that it's unparenting. They think unschooling is a hands-off approach to being in relationship with your children's education. And I don't view it that way at all. To me, unschooling is you being a fully engaged facilitator and steward of your children's education. In fact, to me, it's like more work. I sometimes I'm jealous of these um, of homeschool parents that I meet that they buy the curriculum, they sit at the table, they're there for two hours, they're done. And I'm like, ah. Oh, that's it. That's all you have to do. And then your kids do whatever they want for the rest of the day. Like, and um, but for me, it's more, I feel like I constantly think about what is he interested in right now? How can I help inspire him to do something that he's really excited about? How can I show him a different YouTube creator that he's really going to be sparked by and and really um, and then I have to go along with him, right? So uh, he's really into this TV show on Netflix right now, The Instant Dream Home is what it's called, I think. And it's like they go in and they like make over somebody's home in 12 hours and the people come home and they're shocked because their house is transformed and they redo the yard and they redo everything. And he watches like, Every point, it's like 15 minutes into the show, he like gets up and he's like, we got to do stuff. And he's outside and he's banging on things and he's tearing things apart and we're creating things and we're building a house out of cardboard and um, and we're measuring and we're doing math and we're mixing colors and we are planning and we're looking into interior design books for him to get ideas about things. So um, I guess the question when people say, am I doing enough? with my kid as an unschooler, my question is, are you listening to them and responding to what they are desiring to learn? Are you creating opportunities for them when you see, see one developing? Are you supporting opportunities is what I should say. Um, is that happening? If it is, then you're good. And this goes back to that real question of the fear again. It's like when I was reading that question, my thought was, you know, is she doing enough? Well, what's enough? 
how would how would she know if she's doing enough? How would the world know if she's doing enough? You know, are her kids healthy, happy? Are they curious? Um, are they feeling good when they wake up in the morning? Are they are is she feeling good when they go to sleep at night? Like, are these theoretical fears or are they practical fears? You know, and sometimes we really have to uncover what's making us uncomfortable. Um, and if you like Charlotte Mason and you want to read some awesome books and get into that technique, like there's nothing wrong with that. Like you can bring your desires into the unschooling too and do it with your kids if they want to do it. Um but there's no reason to push onto them because you have fears that you're not doing enough. Yeah, that's right. And and I think to remember that there's always time for adjustments as well. Because I think we've had yes. times when I've been like, you know what? This isn't working right now. Whatever we're doing right now, or my kids have changed and shifted, like they're not waking up happy. They are... Yes feedback they're giving me is not, I mean, and it doesn't have to be positive all the time. And that's what I'm saying. Like it, it, it doesn't have to be, Oh, it's all perfect. You know, be, you don't want it to be actually because you want things to get better and to learn, but you do notice with your family, your kids and yourself, your state and your awareness. And sometimes there are times when you're like, you know what, this is really shitty right now. <laughs> and then that's the time, excuse me, sorry, but that's the time when you're like, okay, so What's not working? What can we shift? What can we adjust? Uh, what can we try differently? And maybe it might look like something, you know, for this parent where, you know, they are, maybe there is more of the feast to offer, or maybe the feast is like, it's been seafood, but now it's got to change to more vegetables and fruit, you know, and, and just saying that as an example in that way, as a metaphor, but maybe there's something different that's needed. Um, and also sometimes that might be the time where your kids are giving you feedback and we get stuck in that idea of like, I'm not doing enough, or I'm not doing this, or, you know, you're not feeling that confidence, I guess, and we're not hearing or receiving that feedback and getting ready to adjust and change. But also that needs time. Sometimes that adjustment takes time, and it's going to be a rough patch for a little bit too. And I think that's also what's different for us, because we're in this talking about how much our kids when they go to school, how much they really are away from home. That for us, it you know, it's a very different life. Like really, it's so to compare it to something that's happening in school, the life we're living is just different when we are in the thick of things together and, you know, and working through those adjustments. And it might feel like forever. It You know, it's not like, well, tomorrow I'll talk with the teacher and we'll try and work it out this week. You know, it's like, no, we're waking, we're going to bed together and we're waking up and we're working together and we're going to, we're working through this together this week. And there might be some unhappy times and tears, but we're working through this together. And obviously we're in each other's faces because nobody is going anywhere. Nobody's getting on the school bus or going to school. So I love that you bring that up because. I do like to use the phrase, like, if your kids are happy, if they're curious, if they're healthy, then you're all good. And happy is tricky, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's oftentimes important for It's not happy, shiny. Everyone's just, you know, running around with unicorns and rainbow sort of energy. But it is authentic, oh, right? Oh, I are people. Oh, yeah. Kelly is all the time. <laughs> Kelly is all the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, what is it? Does it feel real? Are we being yes. ourselves? Are yes. we creating spaces where we can be ourselves? Are we resolving the, the issues when they come up? 
um, are we helping everyone to build good relationships with one another and with ourselves? Like those are the sort of things. So it's, it's, ha- it's content maybe rather than happy, you know, as a way to think about it. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think this, the struggle is the lesson. Yes. Like there's so much more to learn in life that's academic that continues throughout your whole life. But if you can't function in a relationship with another person, then you're not going to make it. You're just not. And so that is where our number one ability and privilege of homeschooling our children, we get to deal and it's exhausting. And my, I wish I had rainbows and unicorns a lot and they just don't show up on time. It's rude. But like in those really difficult moments with our kids where we're getting desperate, what are you doing? Because a lot of the times you might go and you're scrolling on social media. I certainly do it. And then I see all the happy people on there living their best homeschool lives. And I'm like, what am I doing wrong? (laughs) Why is my life so hard? This shouldn't be this hard. And that's good information to honor with yourself is just like, this is really hard for me right now. That lady's having a good day. Good for her. I'm going to celebrate her and choose to be inspired rather than get into the comparison trap. And then I'm just going to really sit with my feelings. And and that is where I have power to shift and to take the break that is needed and to work with the child that is struggling right now. And if we don't pick up a book for a month, it's going to be okay. Yeah, it is going to be. Yes, it really is. That's relationship first. I love yes. that. That's right. Okay. Um, how are we doing for time? We've got a few minutes left here. Yeah, I got time. Okay. Next question. I want to homeschool my kids, my four kids, ages nine, seven, five, and three, but I'm not the smartest person. Now it's fine, but later. Yeah, I, I, Mama, I, I want to give you a big hug. I do too. Um, I, I get that question a lot. I don't know if you girls do. Um, yeah, I get that question a lot. And the very first thing, exactly. You want to hug them. Um, and you don't want to sell yourself short. Like, you know, here's a, here's a word of encouragement. You know, you've picked up that label somewhere and it's not true. You, it's not true. And I'm sorry that that someone labeled you and, um, there's some work to be done on where you are brilliant. And, you know, there are, uh, there's a theory of multiple intelligences. So you can Google that, but it basically is talking about eight smarts that everybody has and you're dominant in four of them. So they're really like nature people. So you can be nature smart, people smart, number smart, picture smart. You can be self smart, body smart, and then you can be word smart. And so for me, like I'm really good with nature, people, um, words and self, like that would be where I would rate myself. And so there's not really anything that's too academic in there, but it's, there's a lot of relational things in there. And it's important to know that about yourself so that you can learn that about your children. And then the greatest part about homeschooling is you get to learn with them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's right. That was the big thing I was going to say when I looked at this question is, um, we there's a misconception in homeschooling and unschooling that you as the parent teacher hold knowledge that you bestow on your children and if you don't personally hold the knowledge then you can't teach them it or they won't learn it you won't be able to get, give them access to the information and that was never my experience growing up as an unschooled person my mom learned with us she learned with us alongside us. Um, she didn't have anything special about her education. In fact, her education probably had really big holes in it, given the school system she was in in Southern California um, 
in the 70s. Um, but she was able to go to the library with us, learn with us. She, The amount of times that I asked my mom a question and she said, I don't know, let's look it up. It was always, I don't know, let's look it up. And then we look it up and then there'd be words we didn't know what they meant. And then we look up those words and figure out what those meant together. And that is not a deficit in homeschooling. That is a superpower in homeschooling because you are teaching your children that they can learn anything at any age. So that shouldn't be something that you feel bad about. I think the biggest thing is for you to hear what Kelly just said, that it's not um, that school and our and our society puts really weird labels on people about themselves that they haven't learned things in a particular way in a particular time and you know that's one of the reasons why many people choose to homeschool is so that their children don't have to experience that too um and that they can reclaim their own intelligence and their own sense of self and they don't have to uh, rely on other people to tell them whether they're good enough or not. They can build that within themselves. And um, that's just critical. So you don't have to know everything. You will find people. You will access information. You all will learn together. Yeah. yeah and, so good. And, and so much of that is the lesson. Sorry, Robin. Right. When you said your mom was like, oh, I don't know. Let's don't look know. it up. Admitting that you don't know something is a gift you give your children so yeah. that they you're not this all-knowing person. You're a fellow learner and you're curious with them. And it makes learning so much more achievable and accessible when we approach it as a co-learner like that. Yes. I am never scared to learn something new. I feel like yeah. it's been a huge thing professionally for me that I am comfortable going into situations where I don't know because I have I know how that I can learn it as well as anyone else can. I'll, oh, I'll just figure that out. So can someone teach me? Yeah. Can someone show me where I can learn that? That's my approach to things. And um, not. And I think so many people that have been in a schooled environment, not knowing something is scary and dangerous and um, vulnerable and a sign that you might not be good enough to be in the room. And that's mm -hmm. never my reality. Yeah. That's right. And I think, unfortunately, that's what we're bringing is that I think you hit the nail on the head. It makes us vulnerable, fearful, and that we're not good enough. And then our grade yep. can prove it. And our getting in trouble because we didn't complete our homework assignment when maybe we didn't understand it. Or also forgetting that maybe there was other circumstances happening in our lives that really kept us from maybe learning something at a certain time that later on made us feel not good enough. Like maybe our parents were constantly fighting and there was no, so we were more worried about relationship or safety than completing that homework assignment or even getting time to study for that exam or being able, being too scared uh, to be vulnerable and ask for help or not knowing where to get help outside of maybe a family situation. There's so many other factors that go into our lives that we think, oh, academics and knowing this is all that it is when it really isn't. Yeah. But the great thing is now we also have so many more tools at our fingertips and so much more information at our fingertips than we ever had before and connections and people as well. Mel Science is a subscription service that offers a range of educational resources and hands-on experiments for homeschooling families. If you're looking for an exciting and interactive way to teach science, Mel Science is a great option. And you're in luck because Mel Science is offering a 60% discount on your first box for all Honey, I'm Homeschooling the Kids listeners. 
Mel Science just launched a space subscription, which is perfect for homeschooling families who want to explore the universe and inspire their kids to become future astronauts or space scientists. Mel Science offers an incredible array of science experiments and educational resources designed to help children and adults learn about the universe in a fun and engaging way. From chemistry to physics, medicine to STEM, Mel Science subscription boxes are packed full of exciting experiments and activities that will inspire and educate. These boxes are a perfect way to give homeschooling kids a practice with the hands-on boxes and get them involved in science activities. With Mel Science, you'll get all the materials needed for each experiment, including detailed instructions and educational materials that explain the scientific concepts behind each experiment. This makes it easy for homeschooling parents to teach science to their children in an engaging and fun way. So, if you're looking for a fun and educational activity to do with your kids, Mel Science is a great choice. And don't forget to take advantage of the 60% discount for your first box and start exploring the fascinating world of science with Mel Science today. Just go to the link in my show notes and use the promo code MEL60, capital M-E-L-6-0. So the next question then. Um, so I have a one-year-old, but already thinking about homeschooling plans currently going back to work and I'm worried if I'll be able to sustain that goal when the time comes if I'm still working full time. Mm. Just thinking ahead. I love it. I love that. I wonder what their childcare situation is right now, like whether they're working with their kiddo or whether their kiddo is in daycare or has another parent taking care of them or something like that. Um, what I would say is that there are so many parents right now who are working full time and homeschooling their kids. There are so many, more than ever, ever, ever before. And another thing that I want to point out is, you know, when I was a kid, I had this thought that all the homeschool moms were like just homeschool moms. And mine was. My mom almost never did paid work outside of the home until we were teenagers. But I mean, she did sometimes, but hardly ever. But when I look back on it, almost all the moms we knew they all hustled doing something, almost all of them, medical transcriptionists, math tutor, piano teacher, um, all sorts of other ways to church musicians, like all sorts of ways that they were building income, making money for their family, cleaning houses, cleaning commercial buildings, um, owning businesses with their partners where they worked in the businesses like a ton. Like I had no idea that mom did all the bookkeeping for that business. She just did after her kids went to sleep, you know, like, so there's so many um, ways to conceptualize work and we're changing that. Now, if you full on have a work a job where you go from, you know, eight to five and you're out of the house and you have to be out of the house all the time, then that's something you have to work on. But in, in my area of the world, there are no laws that say when you have to homeschool, what hours of the day, when it has to happen. And so you can, as long as you can work out childcare for your kid, you can homeschool when you have time to homeschool, when you have time to be with your kid to do that. Right. Um, and there's no rules about that. Um, I'm a working parent. My husband works full-time out of the house. And then I do quite a bit of work. It depends on what your kid can do. And I've oftentimes had babysitters and nannies and childcare providers that support me so that I can get work done during the business day. And then I also do a ton of things on nights and weekends, but I have that type of flexible work, but there's no reason why 
if your kid is one, that you cannot do the planning that you need to do to make sure that you set up your life, that you can be a homeschooler. That's 100% possible. So good. 100%. I love that. And and what you're just saying there is like, you know, everything is solvable. You say that all yeah. the time, Liana, like everything is solvable. Like just, you have to think outside the box. You have to get creative. And then you have to like really kind of like ground down in like what exactly is learning anyways. And what's my objective, knowing what your why is, why are you doing this? What's the outcome you're looking for in this homeschooling and get really strong in that. And then it's going to fall into place and you're going to go through different seasons. Like, I think you can all resonate with this, but like in, in my family life, like we've gone through all kinds of different seasons of homeschooling where so it looks very much like homeschooling. Like we'll do, you know, activities and reading and everything several days a week. And then sometimes it's just like, hey, I've got a lot going on in my business. My husband has a lot going on in his business. We've got something going on with a child and it's just family life. And there's so much learning in that. So like, don't discount just family living and everybody just getting along. If you're all in relationship, that child is choosing what they want to learn that day. And that's unschooling, right? And then you can also read and you can have structured things and still be called an unschooler or, you know, these things. So just a kind of re-understanding what learning is and going through that de-schooling process of you know, why are you doing this? What's the outcome? And how can this look differently? It's so critical. Yeah. And just to add a few other parts to it as well. Um, there's so many options now than there ever were before. Many parents who have created like homeschool pods or co-ops where, you know, they work and maybe their full-time work looks like they are working Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, but they have Thursday, Friday off. Uh, and then maybe they're working sometime on the weekends so they can navigate with sharing um, childcare and homeschooling. If it's like a pod or a co-op, uh, maybe they go to a self-directed learning site, maybe twice a week or their child goes there or for half a day. Uh, there's lot, so many different alternatives depending where you are and what you have accessible to you as well. Um, I, the same, in the very beginning, I didn't work, but fairly on, I started taking on work where I was able to work from home or I made an agreement with an employer that my kids come with me. And it was a space where they could be present. Maybe they weren't, you know, there in that exact room, but there was an accessible space for kids where they could still be present on that floor or next to me. Um, so I could still work while they were there. Um, and part of that was homeschooling where it was like, hey, we're going to work, you know, mom's doing this or she's, you know, creating this and we're with her every step of the way. Um, it just, we had to be versatile. And the same with sharing, asking for help. Um, babysitters, childcare, family, grandparents, or my husband and I as well, especially when we were both working from home where we tag teamed and he was home and I was working and vice versa. Um, so there was many different ways that we were looking at it where sometimes you can try something for a year and then see with your employer if something can shift the next year. This parent has a bit of time because their child is one. So um, I would say start researching now, asking questions and seeing what options are available, even within your own work um, and where you are. Well, and the biggest thing that I would say is like, if you're, if you're already working with a one-year-old or getting ready to go back to work with a one-year-old, 
the hardest part about working with and homeschooling is figuring out your childcare. That's that's the part that's hard, right? I was just talking to a mom at a barbecue the other day, and she's a single parent. She works like two different jobs. She has, I think her kiddo was eight, and they were doing like an online school. Mm-hmm. And she was like, oh, I just wish that I could unschool them. And I was like, what are you concerned about? And she was like, well, what, you know, all just the time it's going to take. And it's, and it's like, she was already spending her whole day with her kid every day. They figure, I was like, you did the hard part. You already figured out the hard part. This is a kid that's already very self-directed, able to be independent in her learning. Like you're good. Like you've done it. It's set up a few more play dates or a little forest school a few hours a week. And like, you're there. And I just saw this look of like recognition, like cross her face. Like she realized, oh my gosh, I, I could do that. And it's because we have such a weird idea about like, if you're homeschooling, you have to like sit at the table with your kid and teach them. Right. And that's the concept. And And so if I'm working, I'm going to do that. In a prairie dress with sourdough. Yes. Of course with sourdough. Now we do have sourdough at my house. I, I, we, we do, do too. I'm, I'm poking fun, but so <laughs> we don't have the prairie sourdough dress. or a dress or prairie dress. I need to get Uh-oh. on. This. Okay. <laughs> All you right. But, you need- yeah. Yeah. That's just huge. It's just like realizing that it's just figuring out how you're going to support your children while you do the things you need to do. And for me, that has been like, there's been seasons where that's been challenging because my son's super neurodiverse. He can't really sit and do something while I do something else. He requires full-time care. And so that's like, he has to be with someone if I'm, you know, like even working on a computer or something like that. But we're still figuring out, we're finding flows and like ways to make that happen. And um, he still gets to have a lot of fun in his life. And I'm mostly getting my stuff done. Sometimes it's a little later at night than I'd like, but we all make it work. That's what parenting's about, right? Sometimes you just have seasons when you're in um figuring out mode yeah. make it work I, I live in that mode don't yeah tell? I live in that mode I'm like okay we just we just got comfortable and now something's about to hit and and it's in those moments right when when fear strikes when doubt strikes you have an opportunity like just like you were saying Leona you have an opportunity to bootstrap this but you don't have to do it alone like we've just talked about you can look for help other people other other resources hiring out get creative. It, that's looking for help. That's positive. It's a positive use of that emotion. And you're going to get the answers you want. And that's where trust, that's where you start to trust yourself. That's where you start to trust your kids. You trust these other people who are helping you out. But if you don't do that, then you're up going in the opposite direction of trying to do it all alone. You're putting it on yourself. You're going to burn out. You're going to be full of anxiety and that's not helpful. So it's just about leaning in, asking for help, being vulnerable. We're seeing a trend here with all these answers. At least I am. Yeah. We are. Yeah, for sure. And the one thing I think just really quickly, how are you doing, Kelly? Here. I'm good. Okay. Uh, the one word that I think is really important, and it came up to me, actually, I was listening to a podcast this morning before this, and it was great because it ended up being a lot about, you know, parents and trying to get time in and struggles and things like that. Um, Tara Brock was, you know, I was listening to, and the word that she talked about as a parent and trying to manage was forgiveness that we don't do enough of. And sometimes we think we have no time. And sometimes it's like taking that minute to say, I'm present at this moment. And at the end of the day, looking at the 30 seconds of goodness that happened and dwelling on that for a moment, and then saying, 
you know what, the, the rest of the day didn't work out. And that's, I forgive, I forgive your, you know, forgiving yourself mm. really is the biggest thing that we don't do enough. And that's really a part of parenting that, especially in our culture of social media and perfection doesn't happen enough is forgiveness because we need forgiveness actually to end the day, restart and begin again. Because if not, we're carrying everything over to that next day, that next phase, that next week. And I know it's easy to say, because <laughs> I know we've all been at a point where we're like, oh my goodness, I like, you know, that what did I do? Why didn't I, you know, what's, this is just, I, what am I, you know, all those things. But forgiveness is something that we leave out of our vocabulary or our action, you know, taking that action of reflecting and, and forgiving as well. Mm-hmm. That's so good. One thing I've been reflecting on a lot recently too is that like, I don't have to fix it right now. Mm. Right. Just like to notice like, okay, this is the situation. This is the the trend we're having or the issue that keeps coming up. Cause my immediate response is like, I'm such a doer. I'm like, I'm going to develop a plan. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to map it out. I'm going to get a spreadsheet. I'm going to read four books. I'm going to consult two experts. And then we're going to, we're going to knock this out. It's yeah, we're going to solve this problem. Right? We're all like that, right? Now. We are all right like now. That. Yes. Um, just yes, absolutely just like laser focus on it. I'm going to get this done because that's who I am. That's what I do. Well, and, and, it, and it makes us feel better because we're doing yes, something. So we're going to exactly. fix it. And I'm then reaching. when it doesn't fix, then what? Then what? Then, then the next one. Isn't you do the next and we one. just melt down. We do it again. We're caught in this like little gerbil wheel thing, right? Exactly. <laughs> so I've been trying just so hard just to sit with with all these questions that parents were submitting to you, they're all the the worries and the fears and the how do I's and the, oh my goodness, they're not reading, they're not writing, they're not doing it's no, this is this is not something that has to be resolved today. We're we're gonna just sit with the reality of this and trust that together within our relationship, we'll we'll figure this out. Nothing has to be resolved today. Okay. So I also I see the time and I think for all of us, I am going to end right now. Um, and I would love to have you back too, because we did, there is a whole list of questions and, um, you know, sometimes there is the overlap where I think maybe if you've been, li- you've been listening, you might, it, your question might've been answered, um, even if it was a different question, but I think often it, it's often tied to, to many commonalities or, um, you know, things that we're feeling within ourselves and our parenting as well. So thank you, Kelly. Thank you, Liana. I really appreciate you both taking the time. And I'm, I love it. You know, I, I think this is, this is the most help. And this is something as a homeschooling parent, when I began, I was like, if I could have this, this is gold for sure. So if you're listening and you have other questions or you really, you send in a question, you really, really need it answered, let us know, reach out to us all. I will include Liana and Kelly's links and social media ways you can get in touch with them or connect with them personally in the show notes. Um, So go to the show notes and it will all be right there for you. Thank you both. All right. Thank you so much. Bye. Thank you, Robin. Thank you. See you guys later. Thanks for tuning in today. If you enjoyed this episode, please share, leave a review or comment. I'd love to hear your thoughts, ideas, and reflections on the episode. You can go to the website, imhomeschooling.com, or email me directly, robin at imhomeschooling.com. homeschooling.com.